The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. Another sign is that you seek external validation. So oftentimes when that has happened, people have lower self-esteem and they're looking to others to validate their choices, to validate whether they deserve love, care, approval, and that becomes really problematic because Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aikin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dine Dumas. She's a licensed master social worker and trauma-informed psychotherapist. Her clinical methods pull from many treatment modalities, including CPD, DPD, internal family systems, EFT, Gottman method, mindfulness, trauma-informed practices, somatic treatments, and psychodynamic psychotherapy to offer the best care possible for her clients. Do you want to learn about the different parts of the self? Do you want to know the signs that someone has lost their identity in a relationship? Do you want to know why abusive relationships cause us to lose our identity? Do you want to learn how to hold on to your identity in an abusive relationship? Do you want to learn how to rebuild your sense of self after an abusive relationship? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this episode is for you because Dinay will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi, Dinay. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to speak with you again. It's nice to be here again. <laughs> Great to hear. So today we have a very interesting topic and we have uh, questions about oneself, sense of self and identity and yeah. kind of how to build it and what is ourself and what are the signs if one has lost their sense of self in an abusive relationship and stuff like that. So let's go, let's get started. And the first question is, what is our self? What are the different parts of the self? Okay, so I'm going to answer uh, the first part with what is our self? So the basic concept of self is personal identity being an experience. But when we look at the term self, and psychology is kind of used really broadly. So the general understanding is that self refers to a person's experience as a single, unitary, autonomous being that is separate from others. It also includes how one experiences their reality continuously through time and place. And this also incorporates the consciousness of one's physicality, one's inner character, and emotional life. According to the American Psychological Association, self is the totality of the individual consisting of all characteristics, attributes, conscious and unconscious, mental and physical. Yeah. So the second part of the question was, what are the different parts of self? So I'm going to use Carl Rogers. He's an American um, psychologist who created the humanistic theory of personality development. And he says that there are three core parts of self-concept. 
There's ideal self, so your vision and ambition of who you want to be. Real self, so that's self-image, how you currently see and perceive yourself. And then lastly, self-esteem, and that's how much you value yourself or how much you believe that you're worth. Dine mentioned Roger's humanistic theory of the self, and that is one of the theories of the self, but it's not the only one. For example, maybe you might have heard of a person called Sigmund Freud. His psychoanalytic theory of the self argues that the self is composed of three parts. The id, which is unconscious impulses, the ego, which is the rational conscious self, and the superego, which is the moral and ethical aspect of the self. But in addition to this, with a quick Google search, I was able to find 13 other psychological theories of the self. These include self-determination theory, self-efficacy theory, cognitive developmental theory, social identity theory, object relations theory, self-perception theory, social cognitive theory, self-concept theory, Jungian theory of the self, self-discrepancy theory, self-representation theory, self-schema theory, and self-regulation theory. So all these 13 theories that I just listed out, they are psychological theories of the self. But in addition to this, there is philosophical, sociological, biological, and cognitive theories of the self. And an example of philosophical theory of the self is the Descartes' I think, therefore I am, and this theory argues that the self is a thinking substance that exists independently of the physical world. In contrast, Buddhist philosophy used the self as an illusion and argues that the concept of the self is a major cause of suffering. Sociological theories of the self explore how the self is shaped by cultural and societal norms, beliefs and values. For example, George Herbert Mead's social self-theory argues that people develop self-images through interactions with other people. He argues that the self is a product of social experience. Then biological theories of the self focus on internal factors to explain why we are the way we are, and these internal factors can include genetics and DNA. And cognitive theories of the self examine the mental processes involved in self-awareness and self-representation. For example, Mac Adams' narrative theory of the self argues that individuals construct a life story or personal narrative that gives meaning to their experiences. So there are so many theories and different perspectives of the self and what is our self that I at least feel a little bit overwhelmed now. But what we can perhaps conclude is that the concept of the self is complex and there is no single definition that captures all aspects of the self. All these different theories focus on different aspects of the self, such as its development, structure, origin and relationships with others. Also, these different disciplines, such as psychology, philosophy, biology, and sociology, offer different perspectives on the self, each with their own unique concepts, methods, and frameworks. And each of these different theories of the self offers unique insights and perspectives on this complex and important aspect of human experience. Then, now that we have a better understanding what is our self and what are the different parts of the self, what are the signs that one has lost their identity in an abusive relationship? Okay, one of the first signs is that one doesn't spend a lot of time alone. 
And what's happening there is that people are occupying themselves with either other things or people, and they're not really giving themselves a chance to sit in their own experience, to process their feelings, and to really be introspective and work through their experience. Another sign is if someone is different at different times or with different people, that's normally an indication that someone's not really clear about who they are. And in romantic relationships, what happens is someone could be marrying or um, trying to fit themselves into what they think their partner desires when that may not be really what's best for them. And the problem with that is one, that's not authentically building an intimate relationship and the person is not really being vulnerable. And then they're not living their truth and that often can come up later in the relationship in a different capacity. Another sign is if you lose interest in the things that you valued. So you go from loving art to no longer engaging in art, and that could showcase a loss of confidence, or you're slowly starting to spend less time with your support system, you're isolating yourself socially. Um, another sign is that you seek external validation. So oftentimes when that has happened, people have lower self-esteem and they're looking to others to validate their choices, to validate whether they deserve love, care, approval, and that becomes really problematic because you need a sense of internal validation to make sure that you're making the life choices that are best for you and not best according to the cultural standard or what your mom and dad think or what your sister or family friends think. And it can be really hard if you don't have a sense of internal validation to know what's, what's right for you. Another sign of lost identity is not taking care of oneself. So if self-care is not existent, that's a real, self-care is so important. It's one of the biggest tenets in mental health because it really helps you process your feelings. It helps you process stress. You begin to gain clarity about where you wanna go, who you are, what's best for you. And when you're not taking that time to develop the relationship with self, you're not building acceptance. You're not building self-love. You're not building the ability to um, improve and those things are important when you want to develop and sustain a positive and um, solid identity and then lastly i'll say when you are engaging in a lot of negative self-talk that's another indication that you're kind of losing your identity it's common i would say for everyone to have some form of self-doubt but when your thoughts or the way that you talk to yourself turns to criticism or self-hatred what can happen is it causes a cycle and you begin to feel hopeless and worthless. And when hopelessness and worthlessness come in, it can be really hard to see a different future, to visualize a different future for yourself. And it's in that hope and it's in that vision that change can really occur. Dina just gave us a really comprehensive list that might indicate that someone has lost their sense of self in the relationship. Now I'm going to give you six journaling prompts that you can use to assess your own situation. Journaling can sometimes trigger negative emotions and feelings, so if these feelings become overwhelming, I advise you to stop the exercise and maybe try it another time. 
So ask yourself these following questions. And the number one is, what makes you feel like yourself? Do you notice that you are unable to answer this question like you have no idea? This might indicate that you have lost your sense of self. The question number two is, what did you value and believe in before the relationship started? The question number three is, what activities or hobbies have you stopped doing since being in the relationship? The question number four is, who were you before this relationship and how has that person changed? The question number five is, has your relationship with your partner affected your relationships with others? If yes, write down the specific ways in which your interactions with friends and family have changed. The last question is, what do you need to do to start feeling like yourself again? I was thinking uh, I would want to hear more about you mentioned the internal validation mm-hmm. that can you maybe describe how does it either feel when someone is able to internally validate themselves or what are kind of signs when someone is not needing the external validation like can you tell that okay that person is uh, like internally validating themselves and not you know looking for external validation kind of green flags and yeah can you yeah so and then a a sense of internal validation is i know because i know and and although that sentence on the face of it kind of is like doesn't make sense when you feel so sure about the reason why you are doing something or engage in something or friends with someone and it doesn't matter what anybody around you says it doesn't matter um what society says you know that this person is this person the situation this job this this whatever is right for you the difference i think or something i would want to highlight is this is not internal validation isn't i want to be with a problematic person despite what everyone who loves me around me is telling me otherwise that is not internal validation because at the core of it it's understanding that you deserve love you deserve to be heard you deserve to be held and you're making decisions on how you could be the best form of yourself and when you're in situations that aren't honoring you or aren't um, loving toward you being tied to them is not internal validation it's actually quite the opposite because oftentimes there's fear of something else that comes in but i think what i would say to people is that when you're often asking people what do you think what do you think i think i might go to school but what do you think right at the end of the day it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks it matters if going to school or doing this program or doing this job is right for you and is it right for you based on where you see yourself going in the future and that's about the dreaming the passion the the who am i today and who do i want to be tomorrow thank you so much uh then in general why do we lose ourselves in an abusive relationship that's actually a really good question 
And so I want to highlight that emotional abuse is incredibly hard to recognize. People, people, excuse me, often lose themselves incrementally over time. So in the beginning stages of a relationship, you're excited, you want to please your loved one, you want to spend lots of time together. What happens in an abusive relationship is that one of the partners starts to slowly lose their autonomy. And because they don't want to make waves, especially if there is chemistry, they overlook negative behavior or signs that might be a warning to end the relationship. They'll slowly see their friends less and less. They'll drop things that they normally did before this partner came into their life. They work, professional goals all now take a back seat to the relationship. And what happens is the desire to please becomes an obsession. That need to connect starts to create a denial around a partner's behavior. And that makes someone doubt their own perceptions, boundaries become very blurry, and then one starts to accept their partner's view of what's happening in the reality over their own view of what's happening in reality. So that's the basic concept of the pattern that reflects uh, a lost sense of self. But when that happens over an extended period of time, then you have a pattern of complacency that comes in and develops, and then it establishes a new norm in the relationship, right? So that's why oftentimes people will look back and say, it wasn't like that in, a, in the beginning, but now it's this way. How can I have not seen the signs, right? Because it's happening slowly over time. It's not one big, like, one day everything's great, and then the next day it becomes this really kind of abusive relationship. And then when someone is in that, people will have the buildup of guilt, anger, resentment, and they start to blame themselves and self-esteem, autonomy, and self-respect break down. So that's kind of the cycle of what happens in abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, then, how can someone hold on to their identity despite the abuse that they are experiencing? Yeah, that's another really great question. The first, and this is probably going to be hard, you stop focusing on your partner's behavior because they're not gonna change. Change comes within, and when you're dealing with someone who has abusive, ten, uh, abusive behavioral patterns, they're not gonna change for you. They need to go and do their own work. So you change, you begin to change for yourself. And then you start to develop a better self-esteem. So that's engaging in your hobbies, activities that you enjoy, spend time with family and friends that make you feel supported and create a space and routine around loving and being alone with yourself. And I'm always going to um, prop up psychotherapy. So we want to get into psychotherapy so we could develop boundaries. We could talk about the emotional abuse, the gaslighting, the manipulation that occurred in the relationship. And some people need to, you know, heal from childhood trauma, PTSD, and toxic shame. And lastly, just start to develop an identity outside of the relationship. That's super important. Mm, yeah, I feel like... Uh when you talked about the question why do we lose ourselves in an abusive relationship and then you mentioned how for example boundaries they become blurred then you suddenly you might notice that all your life revolves around this one person and you are you have become like a people like uh you try to please them you try to uh become the 
person that they desire so then it's really really hard to switch it and start to build the identity outside of that while you are still in the environment absolutely and i think that when you have a life outside of the relationship that you're in it gives a balance to the perspective right like if you're in this relationship and everything is centered around this relationship you don't have an idea of what's happening from a um third eye eye view let's say and so having an identity outside helps you to to see what is different like how other relationships work how other people work what's available to you and that can give you perspective for the very relationship that you're in mm-hmm. then question number six I mean, I'm sorry, number five, what are five to 10 steps I should follow in order to rebuild my sense of self after an abusive relationship? Yeah, I think the first one is stop blaming yourself. It's not your fault. And mm. you have to remind yourself that it's about your abuser's need to control you. And that could be really, really difficult to unpack or kind of um, make the distinction. And then I always encourage people to journal. I love journaling because I think sometimes we have these thoughts in our head and once it comes out of our head into paper, it can be a healing process because you're not sitting with the kind of heaviness of the thought. And um, also it can help you read through kind of like, what are my feelings in the process process of this? Eventually, maybe one day you want to share your story, right? And that would be kind of the ultimate, maybe not the ultimate, but but a really good sign that that healing now looks different, but you don't have to share your story. You don't have to show anybody your journal. It's just, it's just getting what's in your head onto some form of paper or, you know, and we've talked about kind of like doing artwork or other modalities if, if that works for you, but journaling is really important. And then if you are still kind of in vicinity of your abuser i would say don't engage with your abuser oftentimes they will do stuff to specifically get your attention and so as a form of self-protection you do your best to limit contact and you also do your best to not engage emotionally because that's what they're looking to get you back into that cycle and then you want to reconnect to loved ones uh, develop a support system so if you didn't have a support system prior to the relationship you want to begin to develop a support system and that can be found through hobbies and doing what you're passionate about and that's kind of the next step is like go back to what you like to do remind yourself of who you were prior to this relationship and it's okay to have a sense of a grieving process right like i'm not who i was this relationship might have taken x y and z from me um, and it's okay to have that process, but we also want to look to, but this is who I'm building for the future. And we want to go back to boundaries. I love boundaries. Boundaries are self-protective. Boundaries are love. Boundaries are a guide to how to love someone and how to love yourself. And it goes back to making yourself the priority before anything else. So if your, your health is first before anything else, right? And then follow your passion, think of who you want to be, dream of the future. There's, you know, always kind of look toward or rather, I don't want you to look toward where you're not enjoying the present, but it's like being aspirational can really 
um, energize people and get people kind of going, finding your life purpose. You know, people are always talking about what's my life purpose and it can be a multitude of things and that's really exciting. And then I'm going to go back to self-care, spending time alone and having people think of the way they see themselves as how am I nourishing my mind, body and soul, right? Like what is helping my mental health? What is helping my physical health? And what is helping? being my soul being, whatever and however you define that. Um, You want to learn to trust again, and that can be very difficult, but that will come from exercising, not exercising physically, but kind of working through relationships, going back to your support system, trusting people slowly over time. That's okay. You'll be really hesitant at first, but you want to trust your instincts, um, trust yourself, but still still practice uh, the ability to build community. And lastly, remember, all of this takes time. Like, it takes time to heal and you'll have moments where you feel like you made five steps forward and a moment where you felt like you went back. And that's okay. Healing is not linear. Have grace. It takes time, but you, you most definitely can heal through this. One of the steps that Dine mentioned was journaling when rebuilding our sense of self after an abusive relationship. Do you also remember how in the beginning of this episode Dine explained to us what are the different parts of ourself according to Roger's humanistic theory of the self? Let me quickly remind you. So according to Roger's, the self is comprised of three parts. The self-image, the ideal self and self-esteem. The self-image is the representation of oneself that a person holds in their mind based on past experiences and social messages. It includes one's perception of their own abilities, personality traits and physical appearance. The ideal self is a representation of the person one would like to be, including their goals, aspirations and values. Self-esteem is the overall evaluation of one's self-worth and the level of positive or negative feelings a person has towards themselves. It would be ideal that our self-image is congruent with our ideal self and that we have a high level of self-esteem. Because when there is a discrepancy between the self-image and the ideal self or when our self-esteem is low, we experience psychological distress and a sense of incongruence. So I thought it would be a great idea to walk you through a journaling exercise that helps you determine the alignment of your self-image ideal self, and self-esteem. Because once you become aware how well or how poorly these three aspects are aligned, then you can make informed decisions how to align these aspects better with each other. This journaling exercise consists of five different steps. The step number one is write down your self-image. Start by writing down your current self-image, including your perception of your abilities, personality traits, and physical appearance. Be as honest and detailed as possible. If you feel stuck with the step number one, you can ask yourself, what are your top five abilities or skills that you are most proud of? What are your personality traits that define you the most? How do you feel about your physical appearance, including your body, face and other features? What are some of your insecurities related to your abilities, personality and physical appearance? Once you have written down your current self-image, move on to the step two. The step two 
is about your ideal self. Write down your ideal self, including the person you would like to be, your goals, aspirations and values. Consider what you believe to be important and what kind of person you want to be. Again, if you feel stuck with the step number two, you can ask yourself the following questions. What qualities and traits do you admire in other people? What would you like to change or improve about yourself? What are your dreams and aspirations for your personal and professional life? What would you like your relationships to look like in the future? How do you want to make a difference in the world and what kind of impact do you want to have? What are your core values and how do you want to live them out in your daily life? How do you want to grow and develop as a person in the future? What kind of person do you want to be remembered as and what legacy do you want to leave? What would make you feel fulfilled, satisfied and happy with your life? Once you have completed the step number two of this exercise, move to the step number three. The step number three is about evaluating the alignment. Look at both your self-image and ideal self and reflect on the degree of alignment between the two. Are they similar or are there discrepancies? If there are discrepancies, write down the differences and why they exist. After the step three, you can move on to the step four, which is about your self-esteem. Reflect on your current level of self-esteem. Do you feel positive about yourself and your abilities or do you feel negative and inadequate? Write down your thoughts and feelings. Again, if you feel stuck with this step number four, I have put together some help questions for you that you can use to assess your current level of self-esteem. So ask yourself, for example, how do you feel about yourself when you achieve your goals and when you fail to achieve them? How do you talk to yourself and what kind of self-talk do you engage in? How do you handle criticism and negative feedback from others? What do you believe about yourself and your abilities? How do you feel about your physical appearance and do you accept yourself as you are? What are the events or experiences that have shaped your self-esteem and how have they influenced your self-perception? What do you believe about your worth as a person and do you believe that you are deserving of love, respect and happiness? How do you handle setbacks, failures and challenges and how do you bounce back from them? Okay, then the last step of this journaling exercise is about considering the impact. Think about how the alignment or lack thereof between your self-image, which was the step one, ideal self, which was the step two, and self-esteem, which was the step four, impacts your daily life and overall well-being. 
write down your observations. Again, if you feel stuck with this step number five, you can ask yourself these following help questions. How does your self-image compare to your ideal self and how aligned are they? How does your self-esteem influence your self-image and your ideal self? How do you feel when your self-image aligns with your ideal self and when they are in conflict? How does your self-image impact your thoughts, emotions and behaviors on a daily basis? How does your level of self-esteem influence your relationships, work and daily life? What are the events or experiences that have impacted your self-image, ideal self and self-esteem and how have they influenced your self-perception? How do you deal with negative self-talk and how does it impact your self-esteem? How does your self-image, ideal self and self-esteem impact your stress levels and overall well-being? How can you align your self-image, ideal self and self-esteem to better support your overall well-being and happiness? By reflecting on these aspects of yourself, you can gain insight into the alignment between your self-image, ideal self and self-esteem and determine if they support one another or if there are areas where work is needed to bring them into alignment. Once you start to slowly, you have numbness after this relationship, but as you cultivate your passions, right, as you lean on your support system, as you slowly build and you do do things that are challenging, you recognize that you can survive, that your experience is of value. And when we think of life purpose, oftentimes people think of it in a very grandiose kind of way. And your life purpose doesn't have to be to save the planet. It could be as simple as cultivating a garden in your community to help feed people. Or it could be being the best friend that you can be. It could be being a great mother and raising um, the or parent and raising the children that you have. So it's like it's important to always maintain a sense of aspiration while also at the same time being grounded in the present. If we all learn that the most important relationship you'll have in your life is actually with yourself, then that probably would reframe the way that we move through the world. Mm -hmm. And not, and let me be clear, not in the way where you're um, braggadocious or self-centered. It's just to your point, when you cultivate a really clear sense of who you are, like no matter where I go, I know that I'm kind, I'm giving, I'm funny, I'm courageous. I'm whatever it, you know, you feel really resonates with who you are as a being, then the change to your point becomes minuscule because you know that the core sense of self will always be there and you can always rely on that. Mm. And now we always, we often talk about kind of positive aspects of ourselves, but like we all have also those negative aspects of ourselves or aspects that we don't really like or aspects that need more to 
you know, work on or aspects that might even be kind of harmful towards mm-hmm. ourselves or the way we relate to others. So how do you deal with those negative aspects of ourselves? Yeah, I think it brings this brings up a good point in what we uh, term dialectical behavioral therapy. Two things can be true at once, right? I can be both courageous and scared to do X, Y, and Z. I can have both good qualities and what we call negative qualities. And I think what's important to kind of ground ourselves in is I like to term things as what is effective and what's not effective because a lot of what people attribute as negative qualities can sometimes come from trauma that they experienced in family systems as a way of survival or patterns they picked up by mirroring parent parental figures or friends and things like that. And so we have to understand that where do certain things come from? Why was this developed? And I think once that is answered, then you can always have behavioral change. So it's understanding that, that yes, there are traits that we deem negative, but being more mindful of where they come from, why you needed them in the first place, and then beginning to change that behavior to something that's more effective for the life that you're trying to pursue. Mm, Okay, thank you so much. Today we had great questions and great (laughs) answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you, Dine, so much for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. Thank you for having me. (laughs) If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.